0: Introducing the awardless winning
1: podcast, it's the Intellectual Saviors, with your hosts, The Pedo. I just mind-fucked you with semen. The Ginger Bear. Smuggling
0: Hispanic babies, making do my dishes. And The Pivot Man.
2: I don't mean to suck my own dick or anything, but kind of want to, so. They haven't won any awards, but they've won your hearts.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Intellectual Saviors. Um, we just got finished doing a uh, very lengthy interview with Casey Crescenzo. Um, frontman for uh, the deer hunter and uh, he's going to be releasing his uh, long awaited symphony number one here in uh, June I believe he said Um, thanks again to Casey Uh, like I said it's a very lengthy interview I'm actually surprised that he let us have him on for that long Uh, I would have thought that he would have cut out and said "Eh, I gotta go guys (laughs)
1: <laughs> I was gonna say, as soon as Bog started talking, I figured he would have been like, Ooh, I made a mistake.
0: But he was uh he was very gracious, uh enough to give us his time, so we appreciate that for sure. Hopefully we'll have him back on. Um if uh he didn't dislike it too much.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like I guess as long as he stayed on, he must have liked the torture. I'll say this, if we got any new people listening, if you're checking in to check out the uh the interview with Casey, um if you like what you hear, this is a little bit different show for us. Usually we're a little bit more newsy. This is going to be pretty much interview only episode. Um, yeah,
0: and more vulgar.
1: And yeah, more, you
0: couldn't tell from the opener.
1: Oh, my God, much more vulgar. <laughs> yeah, we we really cut back on the four-letter <laughs> well, any, words. Well, we
0: do an interview, we kind of tone down the vulgarity a little bit. Of course. Um, I mean, unless, of course, our guest starts it and then it's yeah, game it's over from free, there. Free for all. Yeah.
1: But if you're listening for the first time and you like what you hear, you can uh, follow us on the Twitter at the Intel Saviors. Uh, we're also on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, any of those fine fine sites. Uh, just type in the Intellectual Saviors. Hell, just Google us and you'll see there'll be 15 pages of our shit. Wherever goddamn we're goddamn where. We're the best.
0: Yeah, totally. <coughs> best podcast ever.
1: <laughs> Christ Almighty. So anyway, I know we want to throw it to the interview pretty quick, but we'll just going to go through a few things. Our little buddy Bog, who you'll hear on the interview, had to uh, leave us and couldn't do the uh, opening portion of the show. Yeah, otherwise,
0: so, we'd have him dance like a monkey and play a song for you. Oh
1: my god, he would too. So he'd do both. Don't, well, I guess dance like a monkey wouldn't do him any good. No,
0: probably not. But at least get him to fucking sing a song.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, or at least
0: play the song and then I'll sing it. Whatever.
1: Yeah, the problem with Skype is with the delay and stuff, we couldn't get a duet with Casey like I was hoping. It would have been awesome. <laughs> I don't know if
0: Casey would want to do a duet with uh, Boggs. No, no offense to Boggs, but...
1: Well, you don't think they're equal musical talents? You don't think they could have? Uh,
0: well, I mean, Boggs himself even just flat out asked Casey like how in the hell he got his vocal range, because Boggs doesn't have that. <laughs> eh.
1: Boggs is a fine musician, isn't right? No,
0: oh, I'm not dogging him. I'm just saying he doesn't have the vocal range Casey does. Uh,
1: I mean, you know, we can do him some favors. He just can't get a high enough range. Just give him a couple nut punches and <laughs> we'll get him up there pretty yeah. quick.
0: That's uh... the safest way to get high vocals. Just ram yourself in the fist. Your nuts just pow.
1: <laughs> There's going to be so much music talk. There's a couple things I wanted to top out. We. Brought up, I think it was a few weeks back. I brought up to you guys about the thing. This is just a couple quick hits on the news stories in Georgia. Remember, I brought up the thing about they're trying to pass the gun law where they allow guns in churches and schools and airports.
0: Stupid, stupid law, yes.
1: Just got signed into law. Awesome. I think we should start tracking that now how many uh, bar shootings and church shootings there are.
0: I'm pretty sure it's going to be a lot. Especially if it's allowed in the bars. Holy shit.
1: The great thing I love about those laws is, like, stand your ground. Like, as soon as the first one passed, then, like, a bevy of other conservative states starts passing them, so I yep. can't wait for Texas to take that on now.
0: Um, I would rather not. I've I've seen enough <laughs> nasty bar fights. I don't need nasty bar fights with guns mixed in.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, have you ever been in a bar fight?
0: Yeah, I've been in a couple.
1: I had one once, man, when I was... Uh back in my early days when i was in the military over we used to hang out at a bar in nuremberg germany and stuff man we'd go down there and get tore up and it was all military guys but it it was guys from all different bases that would come in and go to this one club this was like the big american club and i swear to christ man and it wasn't me because i'm upstanding citizen i don't cause problems but i had a buddy and he was trying to fuck with some girl that was supposedly with a guy although i don't think she realized she was with him and it turned into a whole fucking scene and it was a great club because they played like this is the grunge days and stuff. So I think they're playing like fucking smells like teen spirit or something. on dance nice. for it, and It's just fucking rocking out and we're just all, you know, everybody's like slam dancing, but we're just fucking throwing punches and shit and the it, whole chaos.
0: Yeah. The, the worst one I ever saw was at a uh, bar down in the stockyards
1: Oh goddamn. and
0: it was one of my friends got accused of grabbing the ass of some other guy's girl and mm-hmm. it just turned into a big fucking ordeal and it, it got nasty. Um, no, no beer bottles over the God head, though. I was kind of surprised on that one.
1: <laughs> no shit.
0: <laughs> but it did get really nasty.
1: Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Fort Worth stockyards. It's not really my scene.
0: No. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 all right. <laughs> it there was, has its moments.
1: There's that one. And then the other thing I thought it was pretty interesting, did you see the Supreme Court? I, we might have mentioned this on last show. I don't know if we did or not. Um, if it was coming through or if the judgment already come down where they had the affirmative action case in Michigan where they uh, Michigan basically said we're not going to do affirmative action for schools anymore and so someone took them to the the, took the case up the chain and it went to the Supreme Court and Supreme Court's like no you don't have to do affirmative action anymore because in Roberts basically I mean this is you know liberally saying this but And all intents and purposes said, you know, things are a lot different today than they were 50 years ago. There's not really the need for it anymore. There's no racism anymore. Oh, really? it's, It's more or less what he was saying. I mean, he put it in a more eloquent way, I guess.
0: That's a crock of shit.
1: Well, yeah, I thought it was great because that case went down. And then, like, the next day you had that Clive and Bundy situation, you know, the rancher. Yeah. <laughs> who's, he comes out, let me tell you about the Negroes. So we got to hear that speech. And then um, the owner for the Clippers yeah, this weekend. Sterling you know, or whatever the hell his name is. Oh, my God. It's like, yeah, it's just, but yeah, it's okay. Racism's dead. <laughs> well, they're both old white guys. It's like I always say, it's like when the older people start dying off, you know, then possibly. But oh, right dude. now.
0: So um, the other day I was at a uh, restaurant and... Um, the there was a little bit of a line to the to the host dan there's like you know two or three parties um and then i was in front of these two like older elderly ladies and uh the hostess as i'm pretty sure she's instructed to do um asked them if they wanted to sit at the bar or sit at the table um you know and it was like happy hour or whatever at the time yeah and these old bats got so pissed off (laughs) And, like offended that she would somehow suggest that they go to the bar without the company of a man. <laughs> That's what they got pissed off about. Oh, really? I'm dead serious. <laughs> what are you suggesting? What kind of women do you think we are to go to a bar without our man? Jesus Christ, man! <laughs> it's like how old are you? 125? Like what no
1: shit? It was like the 20s or like old flappers or something? <laughs>
0: I just I couldn't believe that, and they're just getting pissed off at this uh, poor hostess who's just doing her job. It's like shit. Times have changed, Granny. Like,
1: yeah, don't worry, don't worry.
0: If you don't like it, stay home.
1: Yeah, don't like, worry, old woman. No one's gonna be trying to take you home with them. You're <laughs> safe. <laughs> Christ Almighty, that's the funniest thing I fucking have heard. Um, one of the, well, I tell you, the probably the worst thing I fucking heard all week was this past weekend. Um, NRA had a big convention thing and stuff, and guest speaker was um, Sarah Palin. Oh,
0: our favorite.
1: Oh, yeah. It's the Dick of the Week. So, of course, she's giving her speech, and she's always full of gold, and I don't really even need to set this up. We'll just play the audio and just take in all of the fucking genius that is Sarah Palin. Oh, I can't.
3: I do have to apologize for that. I am sorry, not all intolerant, anti-freedom, leftist liberals are hypocrites. I'm kidding, yes they are. And they are not right. Policies that poke our allies in the eye and coddle adversaries instead of putting the fear of God in our enemies. Come on, enemies! Who would utterly annihilate America. They who'd obviously have information on plot, say, to carry out jihad. Oh, but you can't offend them. Can't make them feel uncomfortable. Not even a smidgen. Well, if I were in charge...
0: Never gonna happen. mm
3: They would know that Waterboarding is how we baptize terrorists.
1: So you got that? That's how we baptize the terrorists by waterboarding them. I cannot emphasize enough how, like, look, we have listeners over in the UK, Germany, and spread out Canada. I know these people listen. Most probably, probably expats or something, but I know we actually have some like people like. From the UK, live there, listen to this, and they probably laugh. I know they listen to us just because we rip on the ridiculousness of this country, and they probably just, it's funny to them. It, and it's, But to me, it's sad. It makes me want to cry because I think to myself, that fucking bitch, and, no, no, that's that cunt, the <laughs> worst fucking cunt that ever walked the face of the earth, and I don't think I'm exaggerating. It's amazing to me that she was just. As she said, a smidgen away from being fucking vice president, which means she would have been a heartbeat away from being the president of the United States of America. It's like that. I cannot fathom that in my head when I listen to nonsense like that.
0: Absolutely disgusting. Um, I think the the part that I'm most confused about is when she said intolerant leftists.
1: Well, we are.
0: Um Everything else in her speech seemed very intolerant. No. She seemed very intolerant of anybody who's Muslim, essentially. No,
1: she was trying to do him a favor. She wanted to baptize him with waterboarding. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like she's using very intolerant terminology and wants to do very intolerant things to people, and yet we're intolerant because we're leftists. And I'm pretty sure we're communist socialists as well. <laughs> I will say this, man. The older I
1: get, I am intolerant. I'm intolerant of all these goddamn right-wing Christian nut jobs and stuff. There's no doubt about it. I've gotten more pissy. and am bitter towards them. And I know I should be the bigger man, but I just can't fucking do it.
0: Well, it's like I've always said. I think that everybody should have a platform. Everybody should be able to speak their opinion. But when your opinion is categorically, in fact, and is uh, pretty much put to the test and deemed infactual, then you should have to shut the hell up at that point.
1: I agree. Like, and,
0: go ahead, say whatever you want to say, but if you don't have the evidence to back it up and if there's no scientific fact or statistic backing it up, then you lose in the public forum.
1: And that is Sarah Palin, everything that comes of her mouth. And that's why Sarah Palin, Dick of the Week. <laughs> Fuck her.
0: You got anything else?
1: No, I think we should give the people what they want.
0: Absolutely. All right, folks. Enjoy the interview um, as much as we did. All right, and here with the intellectual saviors, we have Casey Crescenzo, the lead singer for The Deer Hunter. How you doing, yes. Casey? I'm good. How are you? Fan-freaking-tastic. Um, so I wanted to go first Was into... That, is that sarcasm? <laughs> what? No, that's not sarcasm. That's the truth. Um, <laughs> I wanted to go into your uh, the symphony that you have coming out. Uh Um, I know that that was probably a big deal, um, and it's probably been a big deal for a while now, and you're going through everything, mixing it and all that stuff. I'm not sure. Have you completed all that yet, by the way?
4: Yeah, actually, it's been um, in the hands of the the actual vinyl manufacturer for a few months now. Oh, awesome. And like a bunch of records and schedules for indie bands and indie record labels, the uh, production schedule got thrown off by... Uh, what's it? Um, Record Store Day, or or um, what's the name of it? I forget. Uh, I
2: don't know. But the day that's just
4: all <laughs> the day that's all about vinyl. I keep I forget the name, but we're gonna call it, it
2: Vinyl Day. No, yeah, sure.
4: I know it's got a name. I think it's Record Store Day. But, that's fair. But essentially, it was first supposed to be released um, in in actually a couple weeks, but it it's been pushed back. I think a month to June.
0: Ooh. Well, I'm, I know that I can't wait to get my hands on it. Awesome. Um, I was one of the uh, very few who got on the Pledge Now. I'm just kidding. The Pledge Now thing was went by really fast. How long was that up? Um, it was, I guess they kept it open
4: for a few months, but I think it was f- fulfilled or it, it passed its goal within a week or
0: two, I think. That's good. That's, that's incredible to know that even though you're going in a completely different direction from everything you've ever done, that your fans at least support you in whatever aspect you decide to take it down. Uh, speaking of which, I want to know how did that come about? Was that something that you've kind of always had an inclination to do? Is that something that's been on the back burner or did Uh, doing a symphony just kind of fall into your lap and you're like, hell yeah, I kind of want to do that.
4: (laughs) Um, it was actually like, sort of baby steps for a while where I um we did a show a few years ago where we performed uh the color spectrum from start to finish and we were going to do a third of the show with a string quartet or we did do a third of the show with a string quartet.
0: Yep, I remember. I was there.
4: Oh, awesome. <laughs> well, I had I had hired someone to take care of, of sort of transcribing the arrangements I did on the recording, um, and at the point that I made that record, and, and before that as well, I never really had tried to do the traditional staff music, write things out for musicians, I always just explained the parts to them and sang them their melodies and discussed articulations with them, so I had hired someone to transcribe what was on the record and prepare sheet music for a string quartet for the show, and he backed out, I think, just days before the show was slated to happen. So I had to figure it out really quick <laughs> how to sort of uh, woodshed my way through, you know, arrangement, arranging physical staff music and transposition and things like that. And so that was my first attempt at physically doing the the technical side of the music that I had never really done before and I enjoyed it so making Migrant, making the next record after that I actually prepared music for a string quartet going into the record and they came and performed that and then after that I just sort of like jumped forward a hundred steps and told everybody that I just wanted to make a symphony, everybody being my record label, my management and at first they, you know, uh, said no. They said that that was Imagine a, that. a little bit ridiculous <laughs> yeah. and that I hadn't really A. I hadn't really done anything that would prove capable and B. it, it would be too tough of a sell to all of the business people involved. Um, so it sat around for a few months before I just got angry and said I was going to do it. <laughs> and, and then when we were discussing how to do it we knew that it was something that we wanted to at the very least brand used to brand my imprint record label um, along with actually a record that was just released today by a band called Naive Thieves I uh, saw on kn- Facebook yeah their record's amazing um, um, but I essentially just we knew we wanted to brand it with the Cave and Canary Goods so we knew that it was going to be very expensive we knew that we couldn't find funding for it on our own um, and that's where the, the crowds, the crowdfunding came in, um, was really just as this is the only way we can do it, and if it doesn't raise the money, then we just won't do it, because that means nobody would want to hear it. Um, so I was prepared to just, just not do it if if there was no demand. I I would have taken that as a sign that it was not meant to be.
0: Well, cool. I'm glad that uh, everybody <clears throat> stepped up and gave you their money so you could do it.
2: So Casey, on that note, yeah. <laughs> I know, right? On that note, uh, so I've heard you play piano. I, I'm pretty aware of your prowess on piano. Are you classically trained in anything else uh, besides guitar or piano? In terms of like classical instruments, any horns?
4: No, I, I, uh, I'm not actually trained on any instrument. And one of the hardest things in in writing the symphony is that I don't know how to read music. So it was very strange. It was a very strange learning process um but i i had a violin when i was younger and my hands are too big to play it and i never tried <laughs> it was like at a period of time where i didn't even know what a viola was or a cello was i just i saw i think somebody playing in a bluegrass band when i was in middle school or something and thought that the fiddle was awesome so i tried it and i failed
2: <laughs> yeah don't you're not alone in the failing at violin uh <laughs> I don't know how many violin players I know, but there are very few.
4: Yeah, definitely.
2: All right, I was just curious. Okay, so (laughs) according to, I don't know how uh, familiar you are with people who write uh, music for like video games. Do you know who Nobuo? uh, I'm sorry, Nobuo Oimatsu is. No, I don't. He okay. Do you know who? uh, I'm not who, but do you know the Final Fantasy series? Yes. Games. Okay, he was the person who did seven, eight, and nine, and then he did like Super Smash Brothers. Uh Anyway, I've heard him on a couple of uh, interviews. This is back to the symphony but he was saying that it's 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 a really weird intuitive uh conundrum when you try to like bridge rock type melodies and rhythms into orchestra uh and it's you kind of have to write parts that fit both so i wanted to see how how much of a conscious effort on your part did you put into making sure that your symphony didn't sound too much like the deer hunter or too much like a rock type ensemble
4: well um Knowing that that guy composed music for those games, I can definitely hear how he seems to write with a heavy rock melodic mind when he's writing that mo- the orchestral music. But for me, I think that it's always been a little bit of the reverse, and when I was writing rock songs, I, my mind and my ear always gravitated towards a more orchestral sound and in writing the symphony i think it was not necessarily easy but it was really organic because things like like choruses there's a format essentially but there it isn't the rock format and the use of repetition is a totally different um you, you approach repetition in a different way so i think just the fundamental the fundamentals of the difference in the goal of each of those types of music, orchestral and, and rock or pop, um, for me personally, it was a really simple organic transition, but that's, I'm, I say that and I'm sure when people listen to it, they'll be able to hear obvious things that I do naturally, whatever style of music I'm writing or, or whatever instrument, you know, set of instruments I use, but, um, I didn't really think about it too much, to be honest.
0: Okay. So, where did you uh, start writing the symphony as far as instrumentally? And then also, uh, what was the first major hurdle? I'm pretty sure you may have had a couple, but was there ever a part where you were just like, oh, crap, I don't know how to, I'm going to do this?
4: Yeah, every single day I <laughs> had that thought. I, I, um, the, the, let's see, I'm trying to think. I wrote it on piano in a very um, primitive way because I'm not a good enough piano player to play what I wanted to hear in the symphony so I wrote these sort of like uh, child's building block Lego version of what the symphony would become and so I'd write this piano then I would I I would write the instruments around the piano and then I would refine the piano's part to sort of, um, accent and amplify the instruments. And it was kind of back and forth between the piano and the rest of the orchestra. Um, and, and that was one of the bigger hurdles for me was the, um, the connection between the two, because I knew I wanted the piano to be the center of it, but I didn't want it to, to necessarily be just, uh, I don't know what the word is, if it's a concerto, but I, I didn't want it to be the piano symphony, I just wanted that to be sort of the main character of the symphony, it's hard to describe. But every single day I was working on it, I would get frustrated and I would think that I was going to have to sort of give everyone their money back and tell them that I just couldn't do it. And I, uh, I wrote it pretty much in its entirety at my parents' home in California my My dad, in the last year or so, bought a really nice grand piano, and um it's one of those instruments that you sit at and it it just sort of writes music for you. just the tonality of it it just is very
0: inspiring. Were there any parts of the symphony that you had to leave out that you wish you could have put in
4: um i I have a good amount of snippets that i that I wrote sort of on notepad ideas but I refined as I went and if something didn't fit and if something didn't seem like it was going to make the music better or or I guess push whatever idea or moment or emotion along um, anything that seemed out of place I I didn't really chase it down for too long there were some things that are in the symphony that I thought I wasn't going to be able to work into it that ended up being some of my favorite moments. But really, it's the, it's my, f- my favorite. It's a, it's a grouping of my favorite things that I wrote during that time. So anything that would have been left out, uh, I would assume is, is pretty bad if I went back and listened to it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So I guess that's your response. What's the response from uh from those around you, some of the the ones closest to you for your symphony? Or have they heard it yet?
4: Um, yeah. Uh my family, um my managers, girlfriend, pretty much everyone who's close to me has heard it. But and they're all gonna tell me that it's you know, what whatever they say it is, but I don't, I don't know. I, I don't want to think about it too much. I feel like if it was terrible, they would tell me that I did a great job either way. <laughs> so <laughs> I I definitely appreciate that they listen to it and they choose to listen to it when I haven't asked them what they think of it. And they <laughs> they they seem to enjoy it. But um, I. I try not to with most things this and anything else I've done, I try not to pay attention to the compliments too much.
0: I understand. That's Um, pretty humble of you. Moving on to uh, the music industry, uh, which I know me and Boggs have a lot of reverence for. I'm being facetious. Um, (laughs) And you kind of said it earlier when you were talking about wanting to write the symphony and then people just telling you, uh, yeah, that's probably not the brightest idea. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But do you feel, uh, because you're not backed by a a, a huge label, do you feel vulnerable at all? Uh, Or do you feel more liberated that you don't have to adhere to their restrictions? Like, if a major record label took you guys over whenever you were in Act 2, they would probably want a a Red Hands-style song in every single album you did, and they certainly would not let you go out and do a symphony. (laughs) Even if it was crowdfunded, they'd still be like, no, you can't do that. you got to go make us more money.
4: Every label has wanted a red hands type of song in every record I've done since that, that record. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, you know, I, the, uh, the, uh, on that subject, the only thing that ever bothers me about that song or about people bringing that song up is that I never want to feel like the best thing that I did already happened. I, and, and that sort of, you know you should try and write another song like red hands that sort of um mentality and sentiment is very discouraging because especially when that's coupled with reviewing new material that i'm showing someone um and that happens all the time it's it's i think everyone around me has learned not to make that suggestion anymore (laughs) but i uh I don't know if I necessarily feel vulnerable. I think I, I more feel like I've tricked everyone into giving me an opportunity to do something. Um, and I know that I'm not necessarily deserving of it, but as long as, as like, I've got someone who's willing to, to book shows for me and somebody who wants to put the records out, I can continue living the sort of dream like life that I live. So I, uh, as weird and sort of manipulative as that sounds it's just that i don't necessarily think that i um fundamentally anyone deserves the platform that that i've been given so i just choose instead to instead of worrying about keeping it or instead of worrying about becoming a huge artist or playing that game i'm more worried about taking advantage of it in the moment that I have it,
2: is this? It, I'm sorry. Is this what Whisper's about?
4: <laughs> um, in a no, long way, no. Actually, actually, Whisper is about a very specific uh, occurrence or or moment in my life, and with a group of people who uh, I don't and I don't want <clears throat> to single anyone out by name because he would probably check this and, and,
1: uh, Oh, feel some, free. We do it on the <laughs> show all the time. <laughs> Shut up. I'm not, no, it's, sorry. it's, uh,
4: that song is about, um, I mean, I guess it's, it's a fairly straightforward song. The song that is more about that and is more about that, that feeling is, um, Oh man, I, I forget. I think it's called Shouting at the Rain. I only remember songs based on the working titles I use. Like because, sexy song? Yeah. Be- exactly. Because I don't I don't name songs. That's one thing that's that is uh I guess I have to admit. I haven't like n- named eighty percent of the Deer Hunter songs since Act <laughs> Three. Since <clears throat> Act Three was the last time because I had such a like stubborn vision for it that I had named the songs before I even wrote them so right the color spectrum I think about 80% of the songs were named by uh, one of my managers and a uh, guy I used to play in a band with whose name is Andrew Cook and he actually also named most of the songs on uh Migrant and then my friend Cameron from Naive Thieves also helps me name songs just because I hate naming them I I I feel like once I've written them, I've recorded them and performed them, I'm done with them, and I can't really think too much more about them. And then the naming just seems like a just seems like a I don't know. It bores me. The 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 act of (laughs) the act of naming a song seems like the least creative part about making it so I don't like to waste my time with
0: it. We're kind of the opposite on the show. We think that the title of our episodes are the most creative we can ever get. <laughs> is, the rest is, of it's garbage. It is the most creative. <laughs> <laughs> so when you embark on a new project, um, I mean, you touched on it a little, little bit, but how conscious are you of uh, your listening audience? I mean, are you really kind of writing for people or is it more you're writing for yourself or is it a little bit of both? I think I take everyone out of the mix including
4: myself. I mean I I guess fundamentally I have to be writing for myself because it's my it's my internal feedback that gives me the sort of decision making to follow an idea in one direction or another. But I am not necessarily taking such a closed-minded approach to the song where it's got to Um, I don't know how to explain it. I guess it would be writing for myself if I had to actually get down into it. Um, because I, I, the most important thing to me is that when I hear the song or when I feel that it's completed, that I feel fulfilled. And I, I think that when you write for other people, unless I could have every single deer hunter fan that exists, in the room with me, while I was writing, that writing for them would be somewhat in vain, because everybody changes everybody who listens to the band evolves as time goes on and their tastes change and their their um, you know their passions change so if I just tried to write for what I thought they liked about a record that was three years old and take out what I thought they didn't like from a record that was three years old, it, it would be somewhat of a waste of time because they've changed just as much as me and uh, I just try my best to, to write organically. I think the one thing that I do do that's for other people is I, I, try to take, I, I try to take the business writing out of it and I think that's something people enjoy about The Deer Hunter, that I'm not writing for writing a single and I'm not writing for pleasing the label and I think that's something people enjoy from the band
2: you have no idea that is that okay so not to completely just compliment you but um, I'm going to Uh, (laughs) I've told Eric the same thing I've thought back like 20 years or so and I can't think of a better band than the deer hunter that's writing at this mature
4: level um I mean I I think there's I think there's plenty of bands that that do honestly I think that the the this, the thing is you see a band like Coldplay who comes out and their first few records are genuinely I think good records and they showed the promise of becoming like another Radiohead and then you see them turn into sort of like a glorified dance rock band mm-hmm. right? with uh, very little, what I would consider, creative output. I think you have plenty of people who are more than capable of doing far better than the Deer Hunter, but I think that they get used to, or, or I, I may be blinded by the hope that they could be, you know, I guess icons or, or very popular, very successful, very rich. All, all of those things. I think my greatest asset is that I gave up on being <laughs> any of those things a long time ago, <laughs> so I could I can just concentrate on trying to write good songs. But there's bands like Mr. Bungle is a is a band that I would say a, a record. The record California is is a tremendous record. Um, even like some of the more straightforward rock, like the early Deftones records, are still records that I that I listen to and am inspired by. But uh, I think they're out there. I think they're just as unknown as my band is the problem.
2: On that note, since we're talking about um, kind of what you what you gave up on, I guess, uh, tell us kind of like what you expected to get out of music. And like, you know, it, it seems to me that the, the answer to my question would be that the sacrifice is worth it.
4: I guess it it but it's like what's the sacrifice? I'm not really sacrificing much. I think that anybody who does the thing that they like to do every you know and you say the sacrifice, it's 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 strange because you're assuming that if you did something else you would be better off. Um and you would only be better off with a with a f- select few aspects of your life potentially. Um so so I don't necessarily think of it as a sacrifice or I don't really think of much that I do as a sacrifice. I I mean from time to time I get tired of being on the road and I get tired of the food or I get tired of the driving or I get tired of of uh, lifting my amp up. But that I feel like is akin to anybody else's day, the things that they get tired of, you know, breaking a shoelace when you tie your shoes or stubbing your toe against a wall. It's just that I, I think I have a different set of – Daily frustrations, but I'm—I don't know. I've never thought of of it as sacrificing. I've always thought that I was just very lucky to be in in the
0: position.
2: That's a good answer. I like it.
0: Um, what do you feel about the pop world and radio? I know me and Boggs—we are we're not fans at all. <laughs> um, I mean, do you think that it has any kind of constructive force, or is it just like me and Boggs imagine it—a wasteland of mediocrity and terrible uh, songwriting?
4: I think that I've reconciled my personal frustrations with pop music with the realization that it isn't really creativity. It's not supposed to be that. It's, it's not it's, – <clears throat> I, I think pop music is to music what McDonald's is to like the culinary world. You, you don't – you'll have people whose guilty pleasure – like who is it? Is it uh, Anthony Bourdain who who loves McDonald's cheeseburgers? It's one of his guilty pleasures. I know there's people like that who they have those guilty pleasures. Just like you'll find creative people who have who happen to think some pop song is tremendous or really like Lord or something like that. Um,
2: Third Eye Blind. But,
4: but yeah, <laughs> I mean, but I think that it's not the same thing. I I think that. N- and not to group in all music with pop sensibility, but I think that pop music, the stuff that you really know what it is when you say pop music, um, I don't think that's meant to be the same thing. I don't think it's music, personally. I, I think it's like a it's like marshmallows. It's got the nutritional value of a marshmallow <laughs> for music.
0: I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Okay, so um, this is a little bit more technical, but um, one of the most iconic moments that I've heard, and it took me probably six months of listening to the Delphi Express to kind of figure out this that I loved, and I wanted to ask, do you, uh, especially for the acts, uh, did you write lyrics first or music first? Because that moment at the end, I like, had this epiphany. I was like, holy shit, this is a train going by. And you like you made it a percussive sound and it it was really well put together and I was wondering like that's that's lyrically inspired so I wanted your take on
4: that um well first I appreciate that i it was just uh i the whole record I'm trying to think a lot of it of of act two were songs that I had demoed a little while before <clears throat> and actually one funny thing about it was that the uh, the song Dear Misleading I didn't even really remember this until like a year or two ago when I was going through my email but like the lyrics to Dear Misleading were literally (laughs) this letter that I wrote to somebody minus some of the more theatrical wording and dramatic um, sort of poetic approach but it was uh, that was like a a hateful letter that I wrote to somebody when I was really (laughs) upset but but uh for the most part the music was written and um but like i was saying before with naming songs before i've even written them uh i knew exactly what the moment needed to be and it made writing the 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 lyric writing process much easier because it was almost paint by number with the music behind it it was uh it, it, i don't know it was just very it It was all there for me already in the music, especially in that song with with the rhythm and the train sound and the chain gang before it. It was all very much just sort of there from the beginning
2: that's that's probably one of my favorite moments just off that album, maybe even awesome. in your entire work but um, Thank you. which brings us to another question that i can't I can't answer anytime somebody asks me like Hey, what 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 do you like in the deer hunter? Like what's your top 5, top 10, top 15? I'm always like, dude, I don't know. Like I can't even <laughs> I can't make a top 15. So we wanted to know like what are your top 3 songs maybe?
4: I have a really weird relationship with the music uh I write, which is I <clears throat> I start writing it, I get really really excited. I finish it. I listen to it maybe a couple times, and then I'm just embarrassed by it, and I <laughs> never, and then I never ever want to hear it again.
0: Um, okay. And then you get to go on the road and play it over and over and over and over <laughs> <Exactly>. and over. <laughs>
1: exactly. um, well, maybe that's a better way to phrase it. What's the song that you like performing the most for the fans? I mean, do you get?
4: Um, well, the song that I enjoy physically playing are songs like um, "Home." And, uh, trying to think what we played, um, we played on this last tour, what was it called? What it means to be alone is a song that I really enjoy playing.
2: I do love that one.
4: Um, and, uh, life and death is another song I really love playing. Um, actually the song bring you down. Um, I like that song.
2: That's but really you know, it,
4: it's <clears throat> tough because the songs that I enjoy, like the feeling of playing them, the physical feeling of playing them, some of them are songs that the crowd doesn't necessarily react to very well. So it's kind of, you know, like the best feeling playing a song live sometimes has been a song like Misplaced Devotion from the Color Spectrum, or obviously the feedback whenever we play Red Hands is is good. And and so that makes it enjoyable but the physical act of playing it is almost um grueling at this point it's not, it's not necessarily going through the motions but it's like sometimes in the middle of the song i have the thought like i can't believe i'm doing this right now almost like like self disgust but then as soon as everybody joins in <laughs> as soon as everybody joins in that that feeling quickly goes away and i remember why i'm doing it um <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's different though. But the songs that I named are, I really enjoy playing really. It changes from tour to tour though.
0: So obviously when you talk about the deer hunter, it's impossible uh, to disassociate yourself from the Axe Cause those are probably some of the most beloved songs, you know, from your fan base. Um, even though as Boggs pointed out to me, a lot of people point your quintessential work to the color spectrum. Um, but how would you say that the writing progressed from act to act? Because from everything that I've read and everything that I know, act one was more of uh, like a demo or an EP. Um, and then obviously act two is uh, around the same style, but it gets much more percussion heavy. Um, and you get much more melodic with the way that you stream songs together. Uh, so mm-hmm. I was just curious as to how your, uh, your writing developed through the acts.
4: Well... Act one was, let's see, I had started, I started writing act two, and then I showed, or somebody showed Triple Crown Records, the demos I had, this was while I was still in the band receiving in the sirens, and Triple Crown asked me if I wanted to release it or do The Deer Hunter as a side project at the time, and so I wrote act 1 and there was like there was no budget so i was doing it on my own i wasn't necessarily completely sure of the style that i wanted to do and that's why i think that record more than i guess anything until the color spectrum was pretty sporadic um it, at least in my mind act 1 is very sporadic <clears throat> but i think i I'm trying to think of the best way to sum this up. Before I was in the band, the Receiving and the Sirens, I, I stopped playing music from when I was younger. I sold all my instruments, and then I met these guys while I was working at a Urban Outfitters as a cashier. And so until I wrote music for the Deer Hunter, the only thing I knew for uh, a couple of years was writing with other people. So writing music on my own, um, again... Was something that I think it was like a muscle that needed to be worked, and that's why I feel by Act Three was when I really got it the way that I wanted it, um, and that's why I think you hear the progression from Act One to Act Three.
2: Um, <clears throat> on the note of the the, the story arc itself, too, I, I wrote a lot of stories and essays, and I know that a lot of times when you're in a creative outlet, a lot of the Especially the frustrations of like your your protagonists tend to be things that you're frustrated <clears throat> with or uh-huh. that you fear or or whatever. Uh how how close to the story arc are you in terms of like this is like my life to
4: eh, it's just a story I wrote? I would say it's it is Whenever you have a dream and you you wake up and you you ask yourself what that meant, and you can sort of trace all these strange symbols in there and images, and you can trace them back to concrete things that happen in your life. I would say it's that connected. It's, it's things that I've gone through and things that I feel, but they're heavily romanticized and fantasized in the story. So some girl that I might have been mad at because i feel like she wronged me becomes a whore in my story. <laughs>
1: oh, don't they all in the end? <laughs> they always awesome, do. Don't oh, they? It's just a matter of time.
4: And that <laughs> was something that i didn't even realize while i was doing it until i i was writing act 3 and i think one i was writing the the poison woman character who isn't a whore and i realized up until that point any female character I had or <laughs> had dreamed up in the story was a prostitute, and I sort of had to take a step back and see that there was some obvious bitterness towards females at that time. So <laughs> so I think there. it's just, it's like I obviously have never been to war, uh, but but Act 3 and the use of war and um, the different characters in that are are more just romanticized versions of moments from my life
0: so i know uh you get it all the time probably via email facebook twitter every time you do a show i'm pretty sure you're so sick and tired of this question um but are you ever planning on revisiting the X and completing the story arc
4: you know what i I was thinking about this the other day, and I haven't told anyone yet. But I'm um, I'm not doing it for my next record. I'm I'm like almost 20 songs into writing my next record. Like awesome. I've got about I've got about 20, and uh, I I hopefully whittle that down to 12 that I love. But um, I'm working on that, and then I had I had a dream almost a week in a row every night about writing act four and then I woke up one morning and thought well I guess I guess I just have to commit to doing it so my plan is that I will finish I'll finish this record where re- we're gonna record it in the early fall and as soon as I'm done writing this record as soon as I know I've written all the songs and I can go and write something else I want to spend a little time writing a second symphony and then immediately go on to writing act four. I think that's what I want to do. I think I want to, part of me wants to just write and record act four, five and six and take off like a year and just devote my time entirely to that. Um, but I know for a fact that after this next record, I, that I, I'm going to do act four for sure.
0: Fantastic. I'm pretty sure, uh, a huge amount of the fan base will be super ecstatic to hear that.
2: Awesome. I'll spread the shit out of that, so you don't have to answer that question anymore. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, put that on the back burner. Just just divert yeah. everybody to this episode. That's all you got to do. <laughs> uh, so moving on to your, your next project was, was the Color Spectrum, of course. Um, you jump around from genre to genre uh, quite a bit. I mean, there's electronica in there. There's country. Um, there's kind of almost poppy. Uh, there's industrial, uh, all kinds of different stuff. But did you get a lot of criticism from the people around you about jumping around the genres or did they kind of get it whenever you told them, no, it's it's about the colors and then they, they it sunk in or were they just like, no, that's stupid. Why would you have a country song in the middle of your album?
4: Um, I, when I made the Color Spectrum, it was at a really lucky period of time in my life where... uh. I think the band wasn't necessarily big enough for the people around it to be so concerned in the material on that level, on the level of, of you're going to you know freak your fan base out or whatever, but big enough that people were willing to put, I, I I guess there's no better word than funding, but back the release of it. So nobody really said anything, to be honest. I just kind of I think out of laziness of not wanting to even get into the discussion and knowing that I had like a philosophical idea behind it that I would enjoy discussing for a long period of time. I think it was more like let's just let Casey do that thing and and not have to even know what it is Um, because critiquing it. As so, you know, someone close to me in a, in the business sense, the act of critiquing it would really take taking the time to fully understand it, and giving the music not only the uh, the critique from the standpoint of it just being a song, but also the critique of it being part of this concept. That's a very um, that's a very you know, it's my perspective. So giving me a critique on my perspective of something is it's, – it's just firepower for an argument. It's something that usually happens with me when, when – uh, <laughs> so, basically when somebody tells me how to better express myself creatively, that <laughs> usually ends in an argument. So I think at that point, the people around me had kind of learned that and just figured they'd let me go and do what I do.
0: Um, the, the record Black, it has a lot of uh, social commentary in it. Um, you know, some of the lyrics are, well, besides for uh, one which is very personable, uh, the others are very just, you know, the dander are going to inherit the earth, you know, um, and talks about them sinking us essentially uh, mm-hmm. as a society. <clears throat> Um, I'm just curious, how, how much do you dive into politics uh, and how much is that of your daily life or how much do you think about, you know, the the powers that be and how much... Because our podcast is a lot about uh, the, the injustices in the world um, and Black seems to have a lot of that in there.
4: Well, I... I'm trying to think of how exactly to answer. I think that... I... I mean, I I have a good mind for what's going on. I don't necessarily spend, um, you know, a good portion of my day on Al Jazeera or anything like that, um, reading too much about anything. I think a while ago, when I was younger, I was very heated and I was very ready to get into debates and I was very ready to... uh, not only challenge people but but chastise them for not knowing as much as I did on any given political topic or not agreeing with me or not seeing the truth the way that I saw the truth and when I started to notice that quality in other people as well and and then I could really see it in myself uh, I kind of developed the opinion that instead of obsessing over those things and and sort of isolating myself from other people based on those things and those differences and uh, obsessing over the things that I I felt I couldn't affect and that's not apathy but but instead of obsessing over the things I knew I couldn't affect I would just devote all my time to the things that I knew that I could and uh, part of me wishes that I could be a better and more selfless person and and sort of leave the the daydream life of of rock star to the side and, and become a full-blown humanitarian. But I'm not a good enough person to do that and I'm fine with that. And I think that as long as I just continue doing the thing that I'm doing and trying not to inject too much negativity into the world. That that's what I try to focus on. So as far as politics go, I always have an opinion, like most people. But it's it's much more based philosophically than and logically than it is based on you know statistics like reading uh, the back of um, political trading cards or anything like that, knowing how many how many drones this person sent into this place and how many innocent people died on this day.
0: So the song "No God." which uh, I know is probably one of my favorite titles. I don't know if you, that's one of the ones that you named out of the 20%. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're all atheists here, if you didn't know mm-hmm. that. Um, yes. But what is your, uh, your idea about the God hypothesis? You don't have to answer that question if you don't want to. I know it's a little bit of a heavy hitter.
4: Oh no. It's kind of loaded to you, but whatever. Loaded, <laughs> yes.
0: And uh, also, I mean, I know that probably the predominant of your fan base is probably Christian because I mean, you are in America, so.
1: Yeah.
4: I uh I there's a song on the new record that I'm writing right now that the lyric is I I hope there's not a heaven. And I think it's it's that's really like the feeling that I have is that I um I don't it's the same kind of thing. I don't know I don't want to waste much time concerning myself with believing it or not believing it, but based on everything that I've heard about it, I really hope it's not true. I I really hope that all of the stories that have been told and uh you know, the the idea that there would be somebody who would send his his one <laughs> the the his one son in the history of mankind down on Earth to just be maimed and and physically ruined um, to save a very small percentage of, of the population. I think that that, to me, can't really exist. It's just, it, it's when I think about it logically, even those things, when I don't even bring science into it, which the second you bring science into it, it's, for, it's sort of, um, it becomes a ridiculous topic. But even if you don't bring science into it and you just look at the stories that have been told, I think they're so terrifying that I would never, ever want that to be that way. And I think that's one of the underlying thoughts in that song is that the good things that I've learned and and the the ways that I've learned to live aren't. Necessarily rooted, or they're definitely not rooted in that fear that I think comes from religion and comes from the belief in God. It's just it's it's a uh, way that I've been brought up by my parents, who are both. I mean, I don't necessarily know what my mom is. I know my dad's an atheist, but I I think my mom is she's she's a hippie. She's a very <laughs> she's an astrologer, and she's she's excessively metaphysical. But um. Yeah, I was brought up by two people in a house that was completely void of any religion or God, so I feel very lucky for that.
0: Yeah, I think... uh, Well, I know I did and Boggs did, of course. We had to fight our way through it. (laughs) Really? I'm I'm definitely a black sheep in my family. I'm not
2: really invited to a lot of the events over religion. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I don't think
1: that's a reason he's not invited, to be honest (laughs) with you. (laughs) Many, many other
0: reasons.
4: It's very... I think that that... uh, That seems to be such an an often case, and it's the most confusing one when somebody who isn't religious is, is shunned by people who are, when I would think just fundamentally it should be the exact opposite, that based on what everyone says they are, they should be welcoming absolutely everyone into their lives and into their hearts and nah, uh, they're, they're afraid of people that aren't like them. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. I know. I'm just, I'm just saying I, <clears throat> I, I am confused how it's gone on this long without anybody just, just actually without that being a bigger topic uh, um, or I guess a less silenced topic is just the, the excessive mismatch between the, the sort of bedtime story um, fundamentals that everybody knows, Christians and and most religious people define themselves by, and the actual practice uh, of it. It seems so strange that it's not that that it is so mismatched.
2: That gets written off to well, they're just bad Christians. But
4: yeah, it what can does. You do? That's true.
2: <clears throat> um, so, I guess for the color spectrum, and I guess this this question is is. Uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of childish in a way but for for the context that we have what's your favorite color
4: my well i was kind of doomed because when i was named my middle name is blue so my middle or, or my my favorite color has always been blue
2: was that your favorite one to record
4: um no no i think my favorite one to record was they were indigo and white were my favorites Black was fun, but it was really depressing to work on because because whereas Indigo was 90% just me sitting at a computer and messing with things, I was sitting at a computer and messing with things to make really beautiful sounds. So that sort of strange alone time yielded more pretty objects. And then black was just me sitting, staring at the computer and slicing things up trying to make more grating and depressing sounds and so just being alone with the goal of writing downtrodden and cr- music and creating depressing tonalities it was uh it was just depressing to work on really <laughs>
2: <laughs> wow um so i want to move on to migrant real quick uh how the fuck did Millground not make the album um, I did did what not make it middle ground it was on the annex it wasn't on the album
4: I don't know man uh, I I uh, don't either <laughs> well the I'm trying to think I I wrote and recorded Migrant and <clears throat> when I when I showed everyone f- family included it was kind of like it feels like there's something missing it wasn't like it's missing radio singles or anything cuz whisper was one of the first songs that I wrote for the record and that was the song that they actually decided to try and service to radio but it was just like something's missing so I went back and I wrote um four more songs and we ended up with I forget if it's 18 total between the two I think and uh when we were trying to figure out what you know to put what where that one just sort of got edged out by all of the votes and um of everybody involved and being you know the band was six people and my family and my managers are two people that i trust very 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 much so when we were going through and figuring it out it's like that one just sort of didn't make the the cut when we were sectioning songs off and figuring what would be good on one release what would be what would be good on the other but um I can definitely say that there's a few track listing decisions that I regret, and that that is one of them. I wish more people knew that song.
2: That song is pretty sweet. I'm not gonna lie. Thank you.
0: Actually, the entire annex is pretty damn good. Thank you. <clears throat> um, it seems like a very personal album. Um, I, I know the other ones; they have their story arcs, they have their uh, concepts, and what have you. And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of person, you know, a lot of you in those songs as well. But this seems Mm -hmm. like the the first album that you had where it was just uh, a lot of you in there. And uh, is that why you decided to go very um, piano heavy and very orchestral with it? Uh, Because it seems like every song it's piano driven.
4: I think it was just that when I started writing, I started writing on the piano and it felt very natural at the time. So I continued writing on the piano. And then when I looked up, and saw that the record had been written, everything had been written on the piano. Um, But I think the decision to make it less about huge guitars and bombastic moments um, was definitely one to try and keep it somewhat stripped down and somewhat personal and intimate, um, even though there are, You know, those big moments on the record, I I think they're different than the ones from the acts. And uh, that was also part of it was making sure that it could stand on its own and that it wasn't. It didn't just sound like the color spectrum or the acts called something else. I I think we needed to make sure that it, it stood on its own because it wasn't connected to anything. It was the first non, you know, non conceptual record for the band.
0: Yeah, it's it definitely separates itself. Um with uh the song Let Go, that's by far one of my favorite songs that you've ever written. Thank uh, you. Especially at the end with the transition and it gets really big and giant. Um mm-hmm. I think it's just fantastic. Um I have my inclinations, but can you tell me what that song is about?
4: Um I'm trying to think of the lyrics now in my head. <laughs> it
2: starts with some Sleepless Nights. Sing it for
4: him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not singing uh, for Casey. No. I, I think that it's, again, a fairly straightforward song. I think that a lot of the record is about that that mentality of letting go. And um, there's a song on the annex, I think, called is it Old Demons? Is that the name yep. of the song? Yep. Um, they, they. A lot of the songs have that sentiment to it. And that song specifically is, it's the beginning is true that sometimes I'll sort of lose sleep over the concern that I, I'm trying to think how to say this that I'm concerned that I won't be able to be as good a person as I would like to be. Um, not necessarily looking at the things that I've done in the past and, and feeling like I've done terrible things, but it's more the concern that I want to be a good person. And I want to be proud of the things that I do and the interactions that I have. And even, you know, the conflict that I carry, I, I sometimes lose sleep over that concern and not only in me, but just sort of in, in uh, not in such a universal way as humanity, but it's more of just the concern that it's a little bit beyond my reach, that the, the good and, and the positive, then the positivity is, is a little bit beyond my reach. So that song specifically is, is, um, is that conflict and that concern.
2: Uh, you, can, you can probably sleep pretty easy because as far as <laughs> I'm concerned, uh, like your music is helping me get through divorce. So, Oh, my God. As far- <laughs> hey,
0: here it he goes. Here we okay. go. And, well, now, like and now we're on a
2: 15-minute talk. But
0: Th- Thanks, did,
4: Casey. <laughs> it's helping get you through what? Uh,
2: I went through a divorce recently, so a lot of times your music is my way home.
4: Oh, man, you'll love uh, the next
0: record then. <laughs> I, I, I just went through one.
1: Oh. oh. That makes 3 yeah. of us. Come on, Eric, get with it.
0: Sorry. <clears throat> I need to get married first to get divorced.
1: Yeah, you're fucking up the game, man. No, so, uh,
0: yeah, just
4: last uh just last fall I uh I did and so this record definitely has um definitely has some more spiteful
2: you could, you could just say elements from act two. You see, can call it a day from there.
1: I like this, though. Casey gets a divorce. He writes an album. You get a divorce. You sit in your room and fucking cry in the corner. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> this is, see, why like can not you be more artistic and make some use of your time. Boggs is a fine musician himself, Casey. I just want to point that out. That's, he's so in, that's why he's so in love with your stuff. Because he, then, he, he then appreciates Then you
4: shouldn't be uh, sulking if you've got some... Firepower to write some music then.
1: That's what we tell him. I might show you some stuff later. We'll see. Oh, God, you don't <laughs> want to see his stuff. He's tried to, he tries to show it to us all the time. <laughs>
4: Thanks. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about your divorce. That really sucks. No, you know what? Uh, it's like, what is it Louis C.K. says? No good marriage has ever ended in divorce.
2: <laughs> yeah, something so, like that. Yes. And
4: I do believe that. And uh, I. I. A few years ago, a friend of mine told me about a friend they had who said when he went through a really tough breakup, he said that he was just going to make the decision that for one day he would, he would let it mess with him and he would let it sort of ruin him. And then from then on he would, he would just sort of move on. And, uh, I wasn't able to get it down to one day, but I tried my hardest just to look at the situation and accept it because it, it wasn't something that I brought on. And, I tried to just look at it as as logically and I guess as cold coldly as I possibly could, and just accept it and do my best to look at my life and see any opportunity that it might grant me um, in moving forward and growing. Uh, obviously, there was a part of me that I guess is pretty selfish. That that uh, you know, a few months after it, when I started writing music. Um, I I found a very large well of inspiration. So I somehow am a profiteer from it. But uh I think that instead of lamenting it, I just I did my best to look at it and say and just accept it and move forward.
1: So if this next album is like the best work you've ever done, we'll have to get you hooked up and get you married and divorced again. <laughs> So that's
4: what Yeah, we'll see. I I don't. I think as long as it's not Act Four, that n- no matter how good it is, there's going to be most people just waiting for Act Four. <laughs> well,
1: you got you got. I, two I
4: of
0: them here. I've enjoyed the ride with the color spectrum and migrant. I I haven't minded so much. Awesome.
1: Yeah. Awesome. You wanted to ask him some technical questions, there, sir? No, Mr. I was just going to
2: talk tech with him. Uh, Eric wanted to know a lot of this too because <laughs> Eric is Eric is really interested in getting into like recording and, and stuff, but. Um, and we kind of knew that like especially with the deer hunter you didn't really have a lot of budgeting to do so uh how much do you know about like mic placement and what microphones are your favorites like if you have like a specific mic that you just love to use and and ride with in your mic kit uh eric particularly wanted to know kind of what you knew and what you like to do
4: um yeah i mean i i feel like i know a good uh, amount um if you had any specific specific questions I, I could probably answer them. Like I know I love ribbon mics on guitar amps and I've got a pair of cascade fat heads with upgraded transformers that I really love. But if I could afford it, I'd probably get Royer, uh, yeah, Royer ribbons to, to mic them with. And I know that I like to double mic acoustic guitar with a small diaphragm condenser and a large diaphragm condenser. Um, I know my favorite vocal mics are far out of my reach financially. So yeah. I, like, I like mics like uh, the Bach Audio 195. Um, that's one of my favorites. Uh, but I also like recording with the SM7, sure SM7 that is let go and whisper. We're done with an SM7. And um, trying to think of what. Uh, the rest of the record was primarily done... Migrant was done with uh, a Telefunken U-47. Okay. Uh, but, um, yeah, I feel like I know a good amount. I, I try my best whenever I get the opportunity to produce other records and to work with other bands. And that that record from Naive Thieves, I produced and engineered and mixed. Um, there's a band called Elephant in the Room from New Jersey that I uh, produced engineered. Um, I don't know if I'm... Mi- no, I mixed them, and that was last year. Um, but I try to do as much as I can. Acts 1, 2, and 3 and most of the Color Spectrum I produced, engineered, and mixed, except Act 3 was Holy mixed shit. by that Mike is a Watts. That's of work. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then there's a band that I really love called uh, River Empires, who I produced, engineered, and mixed from uh, Oregon who I also played on. And then they had another band called falling up that I did a record, um, called fangs for, um, I'm trying to think of what else off the top. Oh, there's a band called the brobecks who had a record called violent things that I produced, engineered and mixed. And, um, (laughs)
0: Good lord
4: i try I try my best to do as much as I can, so I think uh, you
0: know your shit <laughs> i
4: would I would say at this point it's safe to say you know how to fucking mix <laughs>
1: yeah when well, you start I, your own company
4: I used to have um a studio where a lot of the color spectrum was recorded in uh, Southern california, and now my my cousin runs the studio um and then before that, my brother actually as far as like carpentry um built out a studio in rhode island and that's where we we recorded act three um but i've always had something until actually now since last fall um moving away from rhode island and 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 moving to california i, I have my laptop and a little focus right to mic pre um interface and my a few sure mics and and that's about it on that note um past the microphones.
2: Do you like certain mic preamps, or do you do you have a, a tendency? Oh to, yeah, I was about to say th- have, those are like the the taste and flavor of every everybody's fucking has something different. So what, had, what do you like?
4: Oh, I had a a bunch of uh, Vintech. I had X a couple of X seventy threes, and then the four seventy three, and then I had some APIs that I really loved. Um, but I think that if I was to spend a lot of money now, I would probably get the, what is it, the UAD, the Universal Audio UAD, They ha, uh, what's it called? Oh, I forget what, the, what it's called. Let me look it up really quick. <laughs> are you going to Google this? Apollo. Is... Um, oh, okay. The, the Apollo is a really cool device just because, I don't know if you've ever used universal audios um dsp cards or anything like that
2: is that the bay
4: but that they give you like all the little slots for I um, no different? that's a lunchbox okay that's an api lunchbox and like a bunch of different companies make uh modules that fit in those compressors eqs preamps um even uh moog makes a uh a filter for them but um The Apollo is this interface that has mic pres that uses onboard DSP and you use plugins that Universal Audio created which are all licensed from different companies so you have like Neve preamps, you have API preamps that are all running in DSP so you have access to a virtually virtual unlimited console of whatever sort of preamps you want when you buy this um, universal audio apollo because it runs you record through these plugins it's hard for me to describe but if you're interested in that stuff i would look it up because the next time i actually spend money i think that's what i'm going to be spending it on
2: How, how much did would that run you do you have any idea what the prices on that? Because that sounds expensive, just from what you said. <laughs> I
4: think they differ. I think there's like a there's well there's different versions. There's one that's just a two channel pre that I think is pretty inexpensive, and then there is the uh, like the 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 main one, the really nice one that has the Thunderbolt connector and all of that. And yeah. I think that's twenty five hundred. Um, it's not crazy expensive when you think of what you spend on like avid hardware right. or or any other really nice um i mean even if you are getting a really nice clock you know for sync um it, it, that can run you two thousand dollars or a really nice interface is going to run you two thousand or twenty five hundred dollars so they're in the realm of everything else that's that's good the only difference it has this element that they don't have do you
2: like uh do you like using just like the old analog type stuff or are you really really involved in digital stuff
4: i'm both i yeah. think that uh i would love to do a record to tape i would love to go and do a record at a studio with a really good engineer who who can service the machine and knows how to keep it in sync and knows how to you know clean it and clean the heads and make sure that we have a really good sounding recording but at the same time I think that uh, if you take your time and if you're using the right equipment and mic placement and all of that is correct, and uh, your performances are good, I don't know how much it matters. I think that it's all about capturing a moment, and those are just different ways to do that. I don't think that recording on tape is going to make the songs any better, and I don't think that recording on digital is going to make them any worse.
0: Right. So Can I know I, that um recently you had to unfortunately cancel your UK tour? Yeah. Um I I know we do have some listeners in the UK. Um I'm not sure how much they listen to your stuff. Uh I'm not sure how much of our fans actually listen to your stuff. I know that we talk about you guys here and there and I've covered you a couple me times and Boggs will cover you every once in a while. Uh horribly, mind you. Oh no, it's
1: fantastic, guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh when, but are you ever planning? I know you you had a, a whole list of a laundry list of things that you were already doing, um, and I'm pretty sure you've got things further down the road. But were you ever planning to go back to the UK or even try?
4: Um, I so desperately want to go back to the UK or go to the UK for the first time. I was actually. about to
0: say you guys haven't gone there as the deer no. hunter, have you?
4: Yeah, no, no, no. I've I've only been there uh, in um, passing. Oh, whatever you hear right now, I'm filling up water.
0: I'm not, sure, uh, we all kind of look at sure. each other like, uh, is he taking a pisser while he's? I, <laughs> I should just let it fill for like five minutes, <laughs> so sure.
4: Um, but um, I'm trying to think. Um, no, the only time I've ever been to the UK was in in a in a flight to go and do the symphony actually it was just being in the airport that's the closest i've come to playing in the uk was just sitting in the airport and eating breakfast damn so i uh i desperately desperately want to go and the cancellation was sprung on me and the band at the last minute and it was really heartbreaking and upsetting uh but um you know when anthony canceled the we weren't able to just go and do it on our own. We, the, the promoters wouldn't have it. Yeah. That is
2: really heartbreaking, man. I'm really sorry for that.
4: We are, (sighs) it was strange. It was like a dream come true. And then all of a sudden it was not, it was not happening. So we're trying really hard. I think there's a booking agent there who's trying to come up with a, a good routing for us, but it's all up in the air. I don't have any, I don't have any definite news yet.
2: Uh, something that I think uh, Eric and I were we we jokingly asked ourselves if we would ask you this, but um, no falsetto. How high is your range? Have you, have you mapped that out?
4: <clears throat> I don't know. I it's it's as high as I can sing or yell. I don't know. I I've, i uh, I clocked it a C sharp. I don't know the note. You're at a C sharp at least. Um, you cut <clears throat> out for a second. What was that?
2: You you're at a C sharp at least as far as whispers concerned, and I don't know how the fuck you do it, but I kind of want it so. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that's damn, damn good, damn fine, damn fine of you. I
4: don't know, man. I have, I have no idea. I, I just scream, and then I lose my voice, and then when it comes back, I get a little bit higher of a register. But it's a really horrible way to expand your range, so I wouldn't suggest it for anybody. But I, I don't really know. I've never. <laughs> Do you think you could? Uh, uh, think you'd just I get never one out think too right much now? about it unless I'm writing something and I.
2: You had to like <laughs> adapt it? No. God, no. You're not going to sing right now? Okay. <laughs> I'm just just asking. The worst you could say was no.
1: <laughs> Boggs wanted you to do it with him. That's why.
4: The, the like, connection seems very strange and the video <laughs> is all blotchy and now the audio. It's okay. Uh-oh. We're just
1: playing around. Um, now, I, are you guys there? Yes, yeah, yeah, sir. I am. It's very, are you there? It is
4: super muffled.
1: Well, I don't know. Do you guys have anything else? Because I know we've had Casey for much longer than I expected to have yeah. him. I did, uh, Can you hear? Ahead. Can you still hear us, Casey?
4: I can, but it's it's super muffled and um like like the bit rate just jumped down pretty far. I don't know how.
1: That's but, okay. Uh, I mean, we've had you so long. I mean, you've been oh, it's extremely if generous.
4: There is if there's one, anything else you need or if you're done, it's up to you.
1: I have one thing I want to ask that these guys didn't think of. Uh, I'll pull it back. We'll do the circle round since Boggs hit you with a goddamn Final Fantasy question at the beginning of this, which <laughs> caught us by surprise. <laughs> you guys had a song appear on the new Rocksmith video game. I was wondering, how does that come about? That, I, you know, that's fascinating to me how that comes about. Did that something that they came to you and asked you about? Or was that through management?
4: Uh no that was something they came and asked us about and that was actually a fan of the band who worked for the company that did that okay who saw us I think in San Francisco and then reached out to me and was like hey would you be cool with this happening and I was <laughs> I was like yeah of course why not and so then I just put him in touch with um the management and they they worked it out but um yeah it was really really cool it was it was cool because It seemed like I had a lot of friends whose, whose dads played that game. That was the, that was the, the response I got most often was, Hey, my dad was playing this game and he said (laughs) your songs on it.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to learn some guitar with it myself. Failing miserably.
4: I hear that it's, it's a, it's definitely a weird choice. Song choice for the. No. Yeah. I thought it was
0: kind of weird myself. Um, are you still there, Casey? I Uh-oh. think we lost him completely.
1: Oh no! <laughs> Damn it! Well, I think we did pretty good. We we totally wore his ass out for like an hour and ten minutes. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> um, we'll get back with Casey and let him know how much we appreciate it having him on. And I want to. Oh,
4: he's back. Oh. Are you guys there? Yep. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, I'm, we're... I was just trailing off while the connection was gone.
1: no problem we were gonna let you go anyway because like i said we've kept you for so long and i know we wanted to say thank you very much and you know of course we're gonna we'll put a little bit more promotion out for you guys and stuff and like we say we talk about you quite a bit these two right here are both in love with the band and i know boggs has a man crush on you like you wouldn't believe so it's a good thing that you're on <laughs> Skype and not here in person it might be bad for you well
4: well i i appreciate that very much and and honestly like it's um I enjoy it, not in the sense of I just enjoy talking about myself, but I I appreciate it and it's very cool to just come on here and talk with you guys.
1: Yeah, I know they kind of bored you. I wanted to talk about like Japanese porn and traveling and you know doing all that kind of stuff, and they got all technical on you. But you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? Well, uh,
4: just uh, I'm I'm always up for uh, doing one if you guys ever want me to do another one. So just just um, email me or, or whatever, and and we can do that
1: absolutely definitely when the new albums come out so june's the awesome. symphony drops in june correct Oh,
4: yes okay yes
1: <laughs> all right we'll make that known and we got the exclusive the new acts are yeah. already being thought up so excellent Yay. well again thank you for your time yes. casey i appreciate it very much yeah thank you very much
4: yeah thank you guys have a good night you too,
0: you too. And that was our interview with Casey Crescenzo, uh, frontman for The Deer Hunter, coming out with his Symphony Number 1 uh, in June, as he said. Uh, If you go to merchnow.com, you can pre-order those. There's uh, three different bundles to purchase from. Uh, I'd highly recommend going with the, uh, at least getting the vinyl and digital bundle. Um, You can also check them out at uh, thedeerhunter.com. And that's deer spelled with D-E-A-R, not D-E-E-R. No horns. Um, Or, I mean, I'm pretty sure you can check him out on Facebook. Uh, You can get him on Twitter, all that good stuff, uh, in case you want to check out some of his other stuff. And I would highly recommend going to, I believe, Triple Crown Records to see all the Axe and uh, the color spectrum and potentially pick up your vinyls on there. I know they repressed the Axe just recently. I don't know if they're sold out yet. And also um, the color spectrum, which I'm pretty sure is sold out on vinyl, but I think you can get it on CD still. Um, and of course you can go to iTunes and get all this stuff, uh, digitally as well, uh, with the exception of the symphony, which is coming out in June.
1: Yep. And I'll definitely, and I'll link everything onto our Facebook as well. And I'll put some links on Twitter. So if you follow us on there, then you'll be able to pick it up as well.
0: All right, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a good week. Go
1: fuck yourselves.